This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast, where non-technical professionals stay ahead of the AI curve. If you don't write Python, but you do want to find high ROI AI opportunities and guide an AI strategy, you found yourself in the right place. In this episode, our big takeaway is really around the value of communications data to an enterprise. How much can we extract from emails, Slack messages, etc. in terms of business value, and there is a lot. From an industry-specific standpoint, we're speaking today about compliance, in this case, in financial services. So there's a lot to learn from a big-picture perspective, but we're using the example within financial services to crack that open. Our guest is Arcangelo Grisi. He is the head of market surveillance for the United States for HSBC, one of the largest financial services organizations in the world, with some $50 billion in revenue. In this episode, Archangelo explores the monitoring of trades when it comes to manipulating the markets, as well as the monitoring of communications and just how challenging but important that job really is. This episode is part of our broader series on AI and compliance sponsored by Smarsh. Smarsh has given us a wide mandate to reach AI experts in the domain of compliance and learn their best practices for adopting the technology. We're grateful for their support to be able to find and bring on board great experts, including Archangelo. There's a lot to dive into today. If you are outside of FinServe, I think being able to see just how much financial services firms can benefit from communications intelligence should be eye-opening. If you are in FinServe, there's almost no way around the fact that this kind of technology will be a part of your organization's future sooner or later if you're involved in wealth management. So without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Arcangelo Grisi of HSBC here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Arcangelo, welcome to the program. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. Yes, yes. Good to be able to catch up. We've got a a topic that is directly in your alley that we're covering. We have this entire series around sort of compliance factors here. And I know you're more on sort of the market monitoring side of things, more at looking at market surveillance at a high level. Some of our listeners will be a little bit familiar with the idea of insider trading, but obviously the problem is much more wide than that. Can you talk about basically what market surveillance involves and, and how complicated it can get? Thank you, Dan. Absolutely. So uh, you mentioned insider trading, right? And that, that is probably the one that we tend to hear the most. It could be on TV or on social media. But just to give you an idea of how big of the size of this issue or the size of the, yeah, the issue that market surveillance tries to tackle, we have more than different type of market abuses. So insider trading is one of them, but it's front running, spoofing, the list goes on. Not only we have 40 different types of market abuses, we have more than 30 different product groupings because you need to consider that insider trading in a product looks different than insider trading in another product, right? So, And the, the different product groupings will be cash bond, equity derivatives, FX forwards. So by the time that you combine these two, you have more than 1,300 different scenarios that might require coverage for an organization. And if this number looks bad, it gets worse because imagine that now large organizations, they operate across the world in multiple jurisdictions. So they might have to deploy the same control into multiple locations. So you see now that what is the undertaking here? Not only that, more than 1,300 risk scenarios are just for the base case of that risk, but that risk can manifest into multiple different ways 
and some of them might require actually coverage. So actually the number of scenarios that require, you know, your attention is far, far greater than 1300. So you can see here that given the size of this issue, there is a need for the industry to evolve, right? To try to leave all their detection system, move towards more sophisticated ones. Got it. So there's a lot to track across many, many dimensions and things get extremely complicated very quickly. We're going to be diving in on where AI fits in. And I know there's many, many use cases here. There's certainly a lot of AI vendors in this space. But before we do, I'd love to get your perspective on how the problem is being solved now. Currently, you know, I mean, you're working with HSBC, which is literally among the largest financial service organizations that have ever existed on the planet. You guys process a lot of transactions. AI certainly was not there at the founding of HSBC 200 years ago. How is it? it? Not even close. Not even close. So, <laughs> so, and clearly that the company's leveled up. You know, we've met many smart HSBC folks over the years, but you know, this was a problem being solved absolutely without AI for quite some time, and most of it is probably being solved without AI today. Can you talk about how do we manage this complexity with humans and with current IT systems? What are the workflows and processes, maybe like a, a high level, just to see? how humans are dealing with this right now? Fantastic question. And you are absolutely right. Not only AI was not there 200 years ago, but the issue keeps getting bigger and bigger. Imagine this. The idea of surveillance in the way that is conducted right now is different from how surveillance was done 20 years ago. Okay, There are different and more sophisticated type of risks that require our attention. So that's why within the universe of compliance, I would say the surveillance is kind of the younger cousin, if you want to call it like that. Mm, okay. um, so t- today, how, this is, how the industry is approaching this issue is through rule-based controls and now wants to migrate to risk-based control. And now what are these things? Rule-based control is really simple, A plus B equals C. So translated, as long as certain conditions are met, give me an exception that has to be reviewed by an analyst, right? And you can see that in this approach, you definitely have technology limitations. It's like applying an if function on a worksheet. You you can get really creative, but it will still have limits. But now the industry, given the size of this issue, or like in terms of the the universe of controls that need to be put in place, since this one is expanding, then the industry has this need to transition to risk-based controls. And uh, these risk-based controls start with, let's say, more advanced statistics with the ultimate goal of reaching, you know, and deploying uh, AIs. And that's where actually the quality and, you know, and the completeness uh, of the data sets that an organization has comes to place. Got it. And so I guess we're now going to start toggling into where the quality and completeness of those data can you know, be, be brought into place and then also be processed by algorithms to maybe bring about some value. So many, you know, you brought up the 40 types of this, 30 types of that, so many combinations of all of these factors that we have to monitor. So you might have to maybe start with some individual pockets of where AI fits in and, and handle this in categories, but walk us through a little bit about yes. how can our data start to wake up and, and add value to this very challenging, increasingly complex problem? Definitely, definitely. So a market surveillance program, let's say, is based on three main pillars. You have trade surveillance, e-communications, so it's your email, your chats, right? And the audio communications, so all your phone calls. The AI that you deploy in each one is different. It's single one, or it's that scene, a single one that, you know, goes across all three of them. Because the issues that they face, that they face are different. Consider actually this. 
if the mission of surveillance is to detect misconduct, in market abuse and market misconduct, right? You can see that the misconduct piece is specifically tied to communication spaces, which could be bad behavior or any different type of risks. So now, what, how about then we start from these two, from uh, voice and uh, e-communications, and then we can see what the market is doing right now with risk-based models for trades. So for what concerns voice and e-coms, the typical challenge of a voice and uh, e-communication program is... You might say a word right now on this podcast. The system will need to understand which word you're saying. And now maybe you speak with an accent like I do or, <laughs> you know, which of words that that's, it happens. So if the system picks up the wrong word, you will generate a false alert, right? And that, that's a given. And in any communication, it's pretty much the same thing. Imagine there are typos. People make up words using symbols. We chop words. So again, getting the wrong word already is a bad start. And, but that's why with AI, we have actually an incredible improvement in the, the correct detection of the word. Now, there is the second issue. Even when you get the right word, it may be, still be out of context, right? Yeah. So that's where actually AI helps us a lot. Not only picks up the right word, it's able to build the context around it. And what you have as an outcome, as an output of this is that your overall alert generation will have less false positive and more true positives. A false positive translated is like, it's an alert that is being incorrectly generated, but it's yes. just a function of the limitations of your technology. Yeah. In a perfect world with perfect technology and perfect data input, all your alerts will be true positives. Maybe I will not be around when this happens, who knows? <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> technically, technically, that's 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 where the industry needs to go. It needs to lower false positive and increase to increase true positive. And AI yeah. and communication is playing such a pivotal role in tackling these two issues. And we are seeing actually many of these examples. There are many vendors that have really interesting solutions right now in communication surveillance. It's been fantastic. For trade surveillance, though, for many reasons, I guess, we are lagging a bit behind compared to communication surveillance. Mm. This is at the industry level, the entire industry. I've seen vendors with incredible products, multiple vendors, but when it comes to trade surveillance, we are again still lagging a bit behind. What we are seeing in trade surveillance as an industry is an adoption of advanced statistics, some more, let's say, complex systems, but again, Still, still a bit back. There is one interesting thing that is happening during trade surveillance is that beyond the typical market abuse detection that we just mentioned right before, right? So insider trading, spoofing, front running, beyond the typical in, uh, market abuse detection, there are actually AIs that are built around trading behavior. Imagine these AIs will just look for outliers in your trading behavior, or they will look for outliers in the uh, trade life cycle will flag an alert, and then the analyst, of course, will need to look at this in conjunction with everything else and uh, to make a determination. Got it. So it, I'm interested, actually, in why trade surveillance has been so much harder than the communications intelligence side of things. Let me just touch in on the communication side really quickly, because I know this has been brought up on a few occasions over the course of our series here. Communications is also getting more complicated with the number of channels for communication, right? I can imagine at some point... We, oh, were, yes. we were looking at email, and now we're looking at email, or we're looking at Slack, or we're looking at Microsoft Teams, or we're looking at text messages and WhatsApp. And how is the industry dealing with the proliferation of new communications channels where people might start to 
you know, communicate together and find ways to manipulate the market, they might work around email and use other channels, or they might use, you know, all these new emerging tools. How, how are we adapting to that today? Great question. And actually, it's really an actual question because regulators right now are more and more interested, right, in exactly the issue that you just mentioned. So what financial organizations are doing is that they have approved communication platforms, right? They want employees to use the approved communication platforms. And they will, of course, build a surveillance program that uh, also has to detect when employees are trying to circumvent, you know, certain policies. But to your point, right, 30 years ago, nobody knew what Facebook was, what WhatsApp was, and you name it, I don't know, Telegram, right? And these are all things that are coming out right now. So every financial institution has a list, again, of approved communication application, and they want the employee to stick to those. Got it. But of course, it's challenging if, if people want to manipulate the market. You know, this is what we would refer to as an adversarial system. One of the things here, Arcangelo, that we think about at Emerge is we want to look at what AI applications are proving out some kind of an ROI today. And we also want to think about what are the applications that are inevitably going to be part of the future. And for us, any adversarial system is one that inherently you can't create enough rules to handle all of it. Because you probably are, are seeing yourself, you know, maybe on a daily basis, there's very smart people trying very creative things to work around some of these channels and, and work around some of these, you know, simple rules of detecting a keyword or, or what have you. Are there ways to pay attention to some of these non-approved channels? In other words, the WhatsApps, the Slacks, the wh whatever else the non-approved channels are, are, are there any ways at all of accessing those if people are using a company device or, or are there ways to take that into account? Because it feels like definitely a, a big, I guess, risk. So yes, then to talk about this again, what can a financial organization do when they cannot possibly know what is happening outside of their doors, right? And outside of their doors could be an employee leaving the bank and do, and you know, talking about something that they should not talk about on the street or just use a non-approved device which is the one that you were mentioning before. So that's when the surveillance here is getting more and more sophisticated over time because it has to take into account these scenarios. That's when you start to cross, actually reference your findings in trade surveillance, in e-com surveillance, and in voice. When you start to leverage, again, a trade alert with potentially any other flag that you have in the other alerting systems. But again... It's a absolutely, it's an evolving situation that will keep evolving. And it's, I guess, it's regular course of business. Yeah. And well, and speaking to that evolving, we're going to talk about the difference between trade surveillance and communications surveillance here. But just in, on the communication side, one of the challenges you brought up is just properly detecting the words, particularly if it's in voice or if it's some kind of abbreviated text. Also, the meaning of the words, the context of the words, all of that. It's even the context of the sentences, of the paragraphs, of the conversations. There's so many things. And I imagine there's different ways that people try to talk about these things. Maybe they use some kind of a secret word, or maybe they, they use some kind of a special abbreviated code. I'm not really sure, but how do companies adapt to these kind of new, I don't know if I want to call them code words or means of communication, but obviously there's going to be people who are going to try to undermine the rules and communicate something illegal without being detected, what is the process for sniffing out those secret patterns? Because it feels like AI could help there, but it's also very hard to know what we're trying to detect. 
fantastic questions. Let, I will try to wrap it up, to wrap up an answer here. Beyond AI that is actually coming on right now, right? And it allows you to understand the context. As you say, around the world, around an entire phrase, around the discussion. And the more data you feed to the system, the more the system understands. And it's, you know, better suited for the future. But now let's forget one second about this. Let's look at this issue under another lens. There are, you have no idea, <laughs> the number of governance <laughs> forums that are around this thing, around lexicon improvement along keyword improvement, around, you know, uh, but now beyond just improving the simple detection system, every financial institution takes into serious consideration all regulatory enforcement in the industry, right? So let's say that something happens to Bank X. Okay, then what can we learn from what happened to Bank X, right? How will we compare to that? Will our system be able to detect that? If not, how should we tweak this? And it's a constantly, again, learning experience, right? An evolving experience. But to your yeah. point, again, multiple ways to, um, to deal with this. Got it. Okay, so we have to find these new instances and share what other people are doing to undermine the system and then ask ourselves, are there new ways we can tweak, adjust, modify our tools to, to pick up similar kinds of things that might happen? Now we can get a little bit into where trade surveillance is lagging. You had mentioned communications intelligence is farther ahead. Why is this? Is it because a trade doesn't have as much undergirded context about intent as a conversation? Is that really the core challenge? Or is there something else that makes trade surveillance more, yeah, let's call it lagging? And you will see at an industry level, we are just a bit behind. Maybe we're not terribly behind, but there might be many issues behind that. Let me, let me give you an example. You can imagine, let's say that you need to teach your system to assess the liquidity of an instrument. And let's say that you are talking about a liquid exchange traded instrument. Let's talk about crude oil and crude oil futures, right? Now you need to tell your system, okay, and this is all the liquidity of this contract. And hey, this is all the liquidity cross market. Brent is one of the crude oil benchmarks, right? And WTI. And this is your liquidity cross venue. You have ICE and NYMEX, which are two exchanges. And this is your, your liquidity cross contract chain. And, you know, after you have done all of this, hopefully your system picks up in a good way what's the liquidity of a futures on oil. But then you look at the at fixed income and you have all these different platforms because the market is traded mostly OTC. So there are clearly different challenges here. And uh, if you don't have your inputs right, you know, you can't expect too much on the output, right? And this, this would be one of the challenges. But I guess that Probably this is not, it's not only just this, but I think it's really important to keep in mind the size of the issue for comms and why probably comms in communication and why probably communications were preferred to, you know, be the first areas to invest in when it comes to AI. And just for a specific reason, imagine every time you have a false positive on a voice communication, you will need an analyst to listen to the call. You know how much yeah. time it takes if you have a false positive there compared to a false positive on a trade alert. So it's a running a communication program for a financial institution is extremely resource intensive. So probably there was a better return for the investment, if I had to guess, on uh, yeah. you know, expanding first on comms rather than trade. Interesting. Interesting. I, the other thing that comes to mind potentially, Arcangelo, is just the proliferation of of natural language processing in general, the ability to understand intent and to cluster together similar things. You know, these days, I mean, I could search for a certain very complicated 
pharmaceutical paragraph in some research paper, and I could find all kinds of research papers that reference very similar interactions with very similar obscure amino acids. And similarly, in the communication side, there might be a, a very sneaky conversation being had about making an illegal trade of some kind, but we might be able to use NLP to detect very similar things. So my, my guess is it may also simply be the maturity of NLP and how, how naturally natural language processing would lend itself to communications. While on the trade side, what are we looking at? We're looking at what was traded. We're looking at what volume was it traded at. We're looking at how frequently was it traded or what time of day or whatever the case may be. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe the, there simply aren't the same kinds of systems there. No, may, may I just suggest one thing? How about Please. we try to overlap all the things that you said, which I agree with all of them, right? To one thing, just, you know, creating your personal behavior. Then goes yeah. to the office in the morning. He gets in the building at this time. These are the areas that he access. This is the first phone number that he calls. So what I'm trying to say is that on top of having a trade surveillance and, uh, and the communication surveillance in place, again, don't forget that banks are also investing in behavioral analytics and uh, yep. trading behavior, right? And the, the value, if you really want to unlock the value, usually of all your platforms, you need to combine them. You should break out of silos. And that's probably, I think, where you can get most of the answer to the question that uh, you're referencing right now. You need to break out of the silos. Yeah. You need to cross-reference everything that your systems are giving you. Well, of course, this is definitely where things have to go. I mean, it's the same deal in cybersecurity. It's the same deal in payment fraud. If we're looking at one data source, it's questionable. If we're able to connect the dots between multiple, of course, that would be ideal. But now, Archangelo, you know, we can start to lean into some of the challenges as we get to the end of the call here. Clearly, some of the challenges involve how we connect the dots across silos, because you know as well as I, when HSBC first set up its IT systems, they weren't intended to be interoperable for algorithms to be trained on them. That's not exactly how things operate. And of course, there's political factors here, and there's privacy factors for sharing data. So, you know, it does feel like this interoperability is a huge opportunity, but it's also one of the big challenges. Maybe you could walk us through some of the hurdles that financial services leadership has to overcome in order to successfully deploy these, these technologies and see not only less false positives, but maybe even less false negatives and just do a better job. What are, what are some of those hurdles ahead? Oh, wow, you touched on all the right points. So let me, let me just nice. elaborate right. on what you just mentioned. <laughs> it's a, so first of all, you're right. In the, we need to consider this. In large organizations, usually the data owner is not necessarily the data user. Okay. So when we go from rule-based systems, which mentioned before, to risk-based ones, which are much, much more sophisticated, uh, leaders in the surveillance space need to understand, they need to, they need to have their stakeholders on board. It's a journey, it's a long and complex journey, and they need to do it together. So that, that would be the first thing that I would say. And another point, which is you touched on and which is absolutely right, even in the same organizations, you may have different data sources and those are not always compatible or not always readily compatible. So you might need now to invest in, you know, a lot of IT resources just to make everything compatible and readable, you know, in the same format. And that, that, that is more difficult than most people expect, think about. And then there is another one, which is, I would say, if it's not the most pressing issues, but you know, I, it's something that you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely out there. 
there are you can have a complete and clean data set yet that might not be available to you imagine there are data sharing restrictions across countries yes you cannot yes. data out of singapore out of germany and just rework the data here in the us right so you will need to deal with all those things and since we are now transitioning towards sophisticated systems the really the difference between day and night are we gonna you know are we gonna make it or not it's how we deal with all these issues but even now beyond those at a lower level let's say on term of what kind of data issues we have i would say and maybe people take things for granted but nothing is granted in this in this in, in this space i guess which tra- are you able just by looking at your trade data to identify which transactions are client facings, which one are street facing, so other market makers, and which one are just internal book transfers? If your system doesn't allow for that, then you need to have enhancements in your data, which means, of course, cost reorganization. Can you, uh, or when when a trader is facilitating a client order, are you able to understand which transactions are actually to be considered towards the facilitation of the client order? more challenges. So again, in order to have a successful transition to these risk-based models, leaders need to understand and need to deal with all of these challenges. Yeah, I mean, and this is, I can imagine, of course, you're just you're just naming them, which is absolutely the very tip of the iceberg. But what's coming to my mind right now is that it's really, it's very good that they have an understanding of the capabilities, that they have an understanding of the core hurdles ahead. Maybe there's a closing insight here as we wrap up, Arcangelo, around thinking about the right place to start, because I'm imagining a very large organization would would basically say, okay, we have issues with transferring data, but what are the geographic regions where we want to break down those issues first? Or we have issues with accessing data of certain kinds or with, with the way that we store and the real timeness of how we we track and, and upload our data. And there's certain areas of that we need to improve. There's many places to begin and, of course, many challenges to be overcome no matter where we start. Is there any right way to think about what are the first few opportunities to start to free up the value of our data to, to help with this process? Is there any guidance around getting started? I will say, and also on the back of what we discussed on this podcast, right, on the challenges that how do we deal with this? I will say that uh, leaders should start to should start to think in terms of breaking out of silos. Uh, you have a trade program, you have a voice program, you have an e-com program. You need to start probably to think in t- uh, breaking out silos and say, okay, how does this flag compare to the flag uh, to another flag in the same risks or to a flag in a similar risk on the same days? How do you take into account market conditions because liquidity and volatility today is different than liquidity and volatility March 2020? So I would say, first of all, leaders need to, need to break down the silos, need to break out of the silos. Second, they need to leverage data and the output of platforms where they have it, again, so cross-reference trade and communication programs, and where organizations can invest also in this, also in behavioral analytics. You need to have a risk view that is comprehensive and it puts you in the position to make a right judgment on each case. And then when dealing, of course, with the issues tied to data sharing, data visas, that it is when public organizations need to, you know, understand that you do what you do, working with your regulators in terms of what is allowed, right? But there are situations in which you might have monitoring in the specific countries where, of course, you cannot extract the data. 
Got it. Okay, excellent. Well, I I think the most important thing for me here was as we wrap up to be able to give people some idea of where might we want to get started or where might we not. And we were able to shake that in. In addition to getting a nice overview of the problem itself and where AI fits into solve it, Arcangelo, it would be hard to ask you to do a better job. So this is a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for being able to join us on the show today. Thank you so much, Dan, for for inviting me. So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. A giant thank you to Arcangelo for being with us. I love when we can feel the enthusiasm come through for a guest. And I recall the interview with Arcangelo and I could just get a sense that this kind of material lights him up, that being able to see these connections and find better ways of doing things is something that innately appeals to him. I think that that comes through in episodes, certainly makes them more fun for me to record. I hope it makes it all the more engaging for you and interesting for you, our listener, when it comes to informing yourself and being better prepared to make AI strategy decisions yourself moving forward. If you're interested in financial services, be sure to check out our AI and financial services podcast. Yes, we have an entire additional podcast dedicated only to financial services use cases and trends. We are constantly covering AI in banking, insurance, and wealth management. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and type in the AI in financial services podcast, and you will find that show. Lots of other episodes there, and if you've enjoyed listening in here, I would encourage you to listen in there as well. If I have things my way, we'll have Arcangelo back on that show as well, because I'd certainly like to find another reason to chat with him. So again, check out the AI and Financial Services podcast on Apple, Spotify, or other media channels. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I look forward to catching you in the next episode. You're on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>